But I want to take some time and talk to you about where we are as a country. Last week I focused on our church, uh, but this week I have to talk about our nation, our cities, our, our churches as well, the church as a whole, and our families. My heart is broken for people who have lost loved ones this week, for mothers who are weeping over their sons, for wives who are weeping over their husbands who had laid their lives on the line every week to protect people and yet lost their life this week. I'm grieving for our nation today. I've read articles, I've read Facebook posts, I've watched your posts and I've watched your videos. I've watched videos from from many of the leaders in our country, from pastors to politicians to uh, police commissioners to to, uh, to all over. And and I've tried to watch and read and as a nation, uh, we're we're hurting, uh, we're outraged, we are broken, even scared. Scared of what's happening, scared of your own neighbors, scared of allowing your sons to walk down the street, scared of those who are empowered to protect us, scared of all who are different than we are. Today I'm going to do my best to respond and I'm going to ask you um, to hear my heart even when I get the words a little wrong. I'm going to ask you to hear what, what I feel like God is saying to us as a people and what He's been saying to me. It is easy in a situation like this to look through our lens and hear what the words that I have to say or other leaders have to say. And when they're trying to stand in the middle and grab a hold of both sides, we can count the statements they make to make sure they make enough statements in agreement with us and enough sta- and not less than they made on the other side. Please don't do that to me today, but allow me to call right right and wrong wrong. Can I do that? We cannot continue on the road that we are on for things seem to be getting worse and not better. Uh, problems that have existed for many years uh, and then uh, to many people have uh, we, we have not thought that they were real, but they are very real, and we need, we need help. Racism exists in America. Uh, the, the killing has to stop. The hatred has to stop. The anger has to stop. To, to white people, let me say this to you. We, we, we often live in a bubble and think that black people are just making it up. But racism, racism exists. It's a problem. It's not made, off, made up. And we can't write everything off to rhetoric. I doubt that any of you, as myself, have ever been pulled over or stopped on the street for simply walking black. To my black friends, not all white people are racist either. Not knowing or understanding, thank you. Not knowing or understanding what you go through doesn't make us racist. It makes us ignorant. And I don't mean stupid, I mean not understanding, not having enough knowledge. It makes us human, um, it makes us blind, but it doesn't mean that we're all racist. The injustice has to be addressed. It cannot be ignored or shrugged off. Our policemen need our help and our support. 
I don't know if the answer is more training, more evaluations. I don't know what all the answers are, but they do need more help and more support not to be killed for protecting the very people who are protesting against them. I'm choosing the side of righteousness. I'm choosing God. I'm choosing the very principles that America was founded on. I'm choosing to stand up for all innocent people, whether white or black or blue. I'm choosing to stand with black Americans who face injustice every day. I I choose to stand with the good men and women of every ethnicity who lay their lives on the line for me and for you to protect us every single day. I'm reminded of the words from the prophet Micah who who wrote in chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. And you can read this with me and then we'll pray today. What can we bring to the Lord? They were in a difficult time. Things were not going well. It was a troubling time for the children of Israel, much like we have today in America. And he said, what can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give to him? He said, we've made mistakes. We're in the wrong. So what can we do? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? In America today, what should we do? Is it going to take money? Is it going to take offerings? Do we sacrifice our firstborn children? What do we do? And here's what he says. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. What must we do? We've got to do what is right. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when we are hated for it, we must do what is right. We must love mercy. We we, we must love mercy and extend mercy and give mercy freely for Christ has given it to us freely. Number three, our country needs to walk humbly before God. And that happens as individuals walk humbly before God. I've been asked and have asked of myself, what can we do? Many of you are searching for answers. Many of you are looking for solutions. And I, and I hope to uh, begin that today. I don't have all the solutions. And I'll tell you right up front, I don't have all the answers and I don't have all the solutions. But here's what I do believe. I don't believe that we can legislate our way out of this problem. Jesus had a plan to reach the world. He said... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. He gave us a principle here of starting with the people closest to us, moving out, and continuing a thing, a, a, a force to grow, but it starts small. And so I believe simply uh, this it has to start with me as an individual in my family. If I allow racism to exist in my home, I'm perpetuating the problem. And then it moves to my friends, to my church, to my city, my state, and my country. 
The same way that Jesus said we're going to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus, I believe, is the pattern that we must change America. And it starts with every person in this room. America has awakened to a problem. We have an opportunity here. I don't believe God caused it, but I do believe that God can cause all things to work together. We have an opportunity. What will you do with it? What will I do with it? Can we pray today? Father, I love you. I'm in need of you today. I am asking you to be with us. I feel your Holy Spirit even now. Lord, bring healing to this country. Bring healing to us. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I um, have an actual prepared statement that I want to read to you, and then I'll share with you some more of my thoughts. This is a, a joint response uh, from Bishop Randy Clark, myself, Pastor Mike Hayes, Pastor Damon Scapin, and several other pastors. Um, and so I'll read it to you. Our hearts have been broken this week by the tragic shootings in Baton Rouge, Minnesota, and Dallas. They have reopened an old wound in this nation, a, a, the wound of racism. Blood flows from this wound with every new video, television report, and eyewitness account. It is a very serious wound that cannot be dismissed as someone else's problems, relegated to the past, or ruled insignificant. It is a deep wound that divides us as a nation and tarnishes the ideals we stand for. It cannot be healed under the cover of denial or by the hands of the hurried masses. The wound is result of a demonic weapon expertly formed against us. This weapon cannot be diffused by the carnal nature, carnal nature of man or the feudal workings of government. The root problem is spiritual and must be dealt with on that basis. Those who are blind to the obvious spiritual implications are likely to cause more injury and increase the casualties. We need God in America, and we need the church to be the church that Jesus built. Christ addressed racism in his teaching about the Good Samaritan. He exposed the problem, and he declared the solution. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Simple and profound, yet able to destroy the weapons of Satan and heal the wounds of humanity. The Bible goes on to teach us about perfect love and how it destroys Satan's weapon of fear. 1 John 4, 18 and 19. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We, leave, we love each other because he loved us first. We know for certain that God loves America and that he richly blessed her and made her beautifully diverse. Yet, we are wounded by racism and divided by misunderstanding and mistreatment. The good news is that God gave the church the ministry of reconciliation and a mandate to reconcile and heal the nations. Triumph Church and Covenant Church has been on the forefront of racial, racial reconciliation since its inception many years ago. We have been a voice to the nation and a multi multicultural model to our cities. We do not have all the answers and are certainly not perfect, but we are committed to the process of reconciliation and the healing of our land. Our God is the great physician, the healer of all wounds. His power is greater than the power of the enemy, and His love is able to heal the deepest and oldest wounds. 
He will not forsake us nor turn His face away from us at this time. He will work on our behalf and guide us to the place of peace and wholeness. The earth is surely groaning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. This is our moment as the church to rise and declare the truth of God's Word and the power of His love and to minister reconciliation to our divided countrymen. Today, headlines around the world reflect the deep wound in America. Through prayer, unity, and kingdom connections that supersede all earthly associations, we can write tomorrow's headlines so that they read, An army of reconcilers has arisen in America. Please join us in prayer the next few days as we pray for healing in America. Pray for the families who have lost loved ones last week those of the civilians and those of the police officers. They are suffering today and need our love and support. Pray for the wounded officers and their families. Pray for the family of the Dallas shooter. Pray for our local police force, for their safety and for wisdom in all situations. Pray for peace in the streets and in the halls of government. Pray for racism to be completely eradicated in America. Pray for the church to rise to the challenge, to be reconcilers, and to turn this nation back to God. As a pastor and a Christian, I'm praying for the generals in the body of Christ to come together like they haven't in my lifetime, to speak with one voice, to put away politics and speak the Word of God together. We need leadership in this time. If the church can't come together, how can we expect the world to? I am asking you to pray for our generals uh, from all uh, corners of Christianity to hear from God and find our voice. Can you pray that with me? As individuals, we must all examine ourselves. Is there any shred of racism, prejudice, or hate in you? We must examine our hearts and our motives and ask God to help us. Is there any shred in there? It's easy to deal often with these surface level things, but ask God to go deeper in your own heart. I am asking this of myself. Do you unconsciously feel, feel fear or anxiety when you are faced with situations with someone who look, doesn't look like you? But you know, racism isn't relegated to just one ethnicity. Racism can exist in all forms and all colors. I know white racists, and I know black racists, and I know Hispanic racists. And let me tell you this, your Christianity does not exclude you from having this in your heart. You say, well, you can't serve God and be a racist. Well, no, you shouldn't serve God and be a racist. But let me ask you another question. Do you know Christians who struggle with sin in their life, with sexual immorality, with lying, with cheating, with deceit, uh, with idolatry? Because if they can struggle with that sin, they can struggle with this sin. And we can come to church together while something is hiding in us. In fact, the church has been part of the problem. Racism throughout our history, uh, throughout history, almost always has religious roots, and racism in America is no different. Let me give you a for instance. 
The Bible talks about doctrines of devils, and, I, and I'm not going to go deep into this day today, but let me just show you one piece of it. Um, Pastor Mike Hayes uh, preached on this. He's preached on it for many, most of my life and uh, has, has taught us and taught it here. Uh, my father has taught on this, uh, but I'll just give you a piece. Doctrines of devils. So Christian men, Christian white men, were slave owners in this country. Many of the men who wrote our Constitution, who said all men are created equal, also had slaves. How could they do this? It's, 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 it's hard to fathom as believers how you can go to church, love God, read Scripture, and yet own slaves. Right? What they had to have was a doctrine to allow it. So they came up with doctrines, uh, some of what are doctrines of devils. And, and one of them is the curse of Ham. So Noah is on the earth. You know the story of Noah. The earth floods. Everyone dies except Noah and his sons, Noah and his family. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three sons. They all had their sons, which were the grandsons of Noah. They had 16 total. Noah had 16 total grandsons. Out of those 16, they all had sons. And what you find was God repopulated the earth through the sons of Noah. They turned into the original 70 nations that spread out around the earth and repopulated the earth after the flood. Is everyone tracking with me? Everyone's gone except for Noah and his family. So out of Noah, God repopulated the earth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You can, you can break these down uh, uh, and, and you can see the different races, some of them and the different nations, excuse me, some of them are still with us, some of them are not. Shem made up, uh, for instance, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Uh, for, just for your understanding purpose, Abraham came from Babylonia. That's where his lineage came from. So all Jews are actually from, uh, from Shem is where Jews find their, um, their, their roots. And you, that's why, where we get the term anti-Semitic. It's actually anti-Shemitic. You see the Syrians, you see the Lydians, you see the Persians. They settled in Asia, not necessarily the far east of Asia, but, uh, but Asia, uh, where, where Iraq, Iran, Israel. Then you see Ham. Ham's uh, name means dark or burnt skin or hot, uh, depending on how it was translated uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, Ham was actually the first hot black man. Just everybody breathe for a minute, okay? <laughs> Some of y'all hadn't breathed in 20 minutes. You're like going down. <laughs> Ham migrated to what we now know as Africa. From him, you see the Ethiopians, you see the Egyptians, the Libyans, and you see the Canaanites. It's very important. We'll come back to that. Then there was Japheth. Japheth uh, migrated to the north in what we would call uh, Europe or northern or in, East, in Western Europe now. You see uh, Germans, French, Spanish, the British Isles. You see the Scythians, the Medes, the Greeks, the Turks, the Slavic peoples, uh, and the Extrusians. And so, then, so these are how the sons kind of spread out. And if you were to stop and take time, you could see how God uh, created them and put them in a place where they could thrive, each of them. Why are we talking about this? Well, 
The Bible says, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and he made us from one blood. How many bloods? One blood. Every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Each nation, each of these 70, had an opportunity to uh, be world leaders. But God's plan as he would raise them up was always that they would seek him. Some found him, others did not. Let's go now to Genesis chapter 9, and we'll read the story from which the false doctrine of the curse of Ham was formed. The Bible says in verse 20, chapter 9, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. If you're reading from the New King James, it says he began to farm. Many historians and theologians believe this is where farming really was developed and began. Before that, they had not farmed, but now they were. Uh, I'm not an expert on that part of history, but that's what many people, uh, many, many experts do tell us. And he planted a vineyard. And one day, he drank some wine that he had made. Again, here, there are many experts believe that this was the first time that they had ever drunk wine because they had not farmed, they had not tried to store fruits, specifically grapes. So for the first time, the grapes fermented. He takes a sip and says, man, that's pretty good. And he keeps on drinking and has no clue what's going to happen if you just keep drinking wine. He passes out in his tent and somehow ends up naked. Do you have a story similar? (laughs) Don't tell me if you do. I had a friend one time, uh, we were playing a golf tournament together, and he won a, 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 we, he won a raffle, and he won a big bottle of tequila, and he said, man, I don't drink tequila. He said, you take it. I said, man, I don't drink alcohol. And he said, well, I'm giving it to someone else. He said, last time I drank tequila, I ended up down on the street corner butt naked, and I said, I, he said, I can't try that again. <laughs> you can strike that from the record of the video. So... Um, one day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Now remember, Ham is the son who would end up moving uh, to what we call Africa, burnt skin. He was, his skin was literally dark. Now, when this story happened, was Ham already dark-skinned? Yes, he was. When he was born, they named him Ham because they, he came out and said, My God, he's beautiful. He's dark-skinned. We're going to name him Dark-Skinned. It's often how they named people in the Bible. They just said, Man, this is a beautiful guy. Just track with me here. This is really important. He was already dark-skinned when this happened. He sees his father... And he goes, he went outside and told his brothers. So Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and they backed into the tent to cover their father. And as they did this, they looked the other way so that they would not see him naked. So they back in and they cover their father and they leave. Now, when Noah woke from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan. Who just got cursed? Was it Ham? No. It was Canaan, the son of Ham. And he said, may Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. So the doctrine 
of, of the curse of Ham looks at this and says, see, he's the lowest of servants. He is the slaves. Because of what Ham did to his father, Ham is now cursed, and the evidence is the color of his skin. So because the Bible says he is cursed to be a slave or the lowest of servants, then we can comfortably go to church, worship God, and own slaves. This is a far reach here. This is a jump, but it is a false doctrine because Ham wasn't even the one who was cursed. It was Canaan. Now, here's what's interesting to note. Canaan actually settled in the area that we now know as Israel. Canaan was the the Canaanites were the people that when God said, I'm sending Abraham to the promised land, and when Moses was in Egypt uh, trying to lead his people out, he was going to drive out the Canaanites. The Canaanites don't even exist as a people group anymore. It was the Canaanites that were cursed, and they're no longer even on this earth. And yet, supposed Christians created a doctrine that is nothing more than a lie and used it to justify slavery in America. Why tell you that story? Because racism can exist in the church. And I'm going to tell you as a challenge even to you and I as people who go to a multicultural church just going to a diverse church doesn't mean that you couldn't go and still have racism in your heart. Christ is the answer. What we're doing here is we're trying to be solutions to the world, but it doesn't mean it can't exist in your heart. And so I ask all of us, starting with myself, Father, as I get down on my knees, If there's anything hidden in my heart, my heart is deceitful and it is wicked and it hides from me. So, Lord, I need you to expose what may be going on in my heart. Because if it can go on in the hearts of men, it can go on in the church. And we can continue to be a church divided rather than a church united. We have to resist the doctrines of devils. Black people are not cursed and the evidence is not the color of their skin. You're, uh, it's a, you're a beautiful people, created in the image of God, made by God and crafted with a purpose and with a plan. And He loves every person of every color. He loves dark-skinned people and light-skinned people and brown-skinned people. He loves all of us, and He created us as we are. Doctrines of devils existing in the church. It has to stop. It's easy to see racism in our history, but can we see it as it exists around us? It's, it's hard sometimes because all of us wear lenses. We all see the world through the lenses of our experience, of how we were raised, of what we've gone through. And these lenses color what we see. It's as if we're walking through life wearing sunglasses. I need to clean these. I can't see you guys. Uh, So we're wearing sunglasses, and maybe your glasses are dark. Maybe you have a negative 
outlook on life and, and the color of the lenses make the entire world look different. As I'm looking at you right now, when I didn't have the glasses on, I could see you all pretty clearly, but right now your face has become bl blurry. The details of who you are become muddy. You can take the same group of people, the same environment. Nothing has changed except I put on some gold-colored glasses, and now everything looks gold, and everything has a, a different tint to it because of the color of the lenses through which I am looking at the world. And, and for many of us, we have worn our glasses so long we forget they're on our face. You ever been out in the sun for so long one day and you're like, where are my sunglasses? And you're looking, ladies, you're looking everywhere. And all of a sudden you realize you have them on the whole time. You bet? This can happen in our lives. We've, we have looked through our lens for so long that we don't even realize we're wearing lenses. So how do we stop that? How do we, how do we change that? How do we do something different? Can I give you some things to contemplate and some things that I believe we have to do if we're going to remove the glasses from our life? I'm going to say these and keep moving. Number one, we have to examine what we think we know. We have to examine what we call truths or facts. doesn't mean they're wrong, but I think we have to examine what we've always thought to be the truth. We have to examine it. Number two, we have to resist rhetoric, stereotypes, and overreactions. None of us like uh, to be stereotyped or grouped with other people that don't believe like us. I know that there are white racists in the world, and, and, and we live in one of the most racially divided areas of the country. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Uh, but, but, but please don't lump me in with them. Please don't stereotype them, me with them because that's not who I am. So we have to resist it. We have to resist it. Resist putting people in boxes. It's not that clean. We have to refuse ignorance. We have to refuse ignorance. We have to ask questions and, and listen to other people's stories. We, need to, we have to try to put someone else's lens on, lenses on as best we can. You need to study and you need to read and you need to watch for yourselves. And don't just take someone else's word because they're on the news or they're writing an article. But look at the facts. Look at the story from multiple different sides. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says, We will not be influenced uh, when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Number four, we have to give opportunity for growth in ourselves and in others. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold the sins of your past against you? but allows you to grow and change and walk with Him, we must do the same with others who are trying to grow and trying to understand, trying uh, to make a difference. Will you be willing to forgive? Number five, we have to stop allowing uh, one story to override the big picture. We look at an officer-involved shooting. The officer gets cleared, and so we say, See? There's no racism problem in America. The officer was killed. Or the officer is wrong and it's a bad shooting. And we say, see, officers are bad. There's racism all through our police departments and, it, and everybody's a racist. No, we have, to, uh, we have to stop allowing one story to override the big picture. We have a problem. 
Not everyone is the problem, but we all play a part in the solution. And number six, I encourage you, wait for the facts and the truth to come out before rushing to judgment. Once we're out there with our opinions and our statements, we really struggle as a people to not stick to our story. We struggle to back up and say, you know what, I was wrong about that. Let truth prevail. I believe that, and, and forgive me, but I, I just said don't stereotype us, but I am going to group us for a moment, and I think you'll understand why. We must call, uh, we need people to call out people in their own groups who have racism in their hearts. What do I mean by that? It does no good for a black man to look at a white person and say, you're racist. Because as a white person, I'm going to say, no, I'm not. It does no good for a white person to look at a black person and say, you're racist. Because the black man is going to say, no, I'm not. You are. It does no good for me to look at a police officer. I'm not a police officer and say, all the cops are racist. Because that's not going to help. What we need is this. We we have to call it out among among our own groups. So as a white man... When I see white people having racism and prejudice in their heart, I've got to be able to call it out and say, hey, hey, let's not wait on the world to tell you. I'm telling you, as a white man, you have a problem. As a black man, I'm asking you to, to recognize it in, in people that, that see the world as you do and, and to call it out because I can't do it all. We have to join together. We have to call those out like ourselves. I don't think that all police officers are, are racist. I don't think they're all racist. But obviously we have some with problems and I need the good officers to call out wrong among their own group. Is that, is that right? When it's wrong, call it out. Don't, if you don't want, I don't want to be put in the box with all racist white people. So you know what? I better call it out among my own people. We got to, we got to call it out among ourselves. I know that's asking a lot. I know that it's a difficult road. I know that it's a risk that we would be marginalized and hated, possibly even by our own families. But how long will we continue the road that we're on? Something has to change and it starts with me. This week, and I'm, uh, I'm about to close. I'm going to ask Stephen to help me. Um, my wife called me in the wake of all these things, and she's like, Randon, we have to make a response. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Uh, there's people posting on Facebook and people calling, and uh, I've gotten texts all week. I've gotten phone calls all week. I've gotten emails. Um, and she said, Randon, what are you going to say? And my response to her was, Lindsay, I'm not prepared to say anything yet. Because I need to see how the Holy Spirit feels on the subject. And I kid you not, the moment those words came out of my mouth, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm grieved. He's grieved with our nation. He's grieved by people's actions and inactions. He's grieved by the injustice. He's grieved by the hatred. Immediately, I went to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30, where he talks about, he says, and do not bring sorrow, or if you're reading in the New King James versions, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice right here, by the way you live. 
Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on that day of redemption. We have grieved Him by the way we live, by our actions and inactions, our choices, our prejudices, our opinions, our judgment. We have grieved God. And I need Him. I am begging Him to forgive us and draw close to us again. May I read just some verses from the Apostle Paul? As I read them, they spoke so clearly to me about where we are. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, He's given us, each one of us, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the Scriptures say when He ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to His people. Notice that He said He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. And now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He goes on. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every, new, every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of His body in the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each does its own special part, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We all have to work together for this thing. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw away your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Old ways that have kept us where we are. It's corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Can you see that's what we need in America? So stop telling lies. 
Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still anger free, for anger gives foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words may be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let me ask you this week, have your words been encouragement to those who hear them? And do not bring sorrow or grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Skipping down, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slanders as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. He goes on, but I'll stop for today. We must take on these words. Father, forgive me for the areas of my life where I have lived in a way that has been grieving to you, your Holy Spirit. I, I want to end today slightly different. I want to say two things to you. Uh, in a moment, we're, we're going to take communion together. But I want to end here as I watched the videos of all of the shootings this week, I watched as much footage as I possibly could, even the difficult ones, even the ones that were hard to watch. Specifically the video of Philando Castile, who was the man who lost his life in Minnesota. I was deeply troubled. Uh, all I've seen at this point is the girlfriend des descriptions of what happens prior to the video, and then I watched the entire video. I've not heard what the officer has to say, but I'll tell you it doesn't look good. And I watched on video as this young man breathed his last as he bled out in the front seat of the car. It wasn't Hollywood. It wasn't television. It wasn't something I saw across the, the, uh, from, from a war overseas. But it was real. It was hard to watch. The video continues until we finally find the woman handcuffed in the back seat of the car with her four-year-old daughter in the back who had been in the back seat while the shooting happened, if you're unfamiliar. As you can imagine, uh, the woman, and she was remarkably calm all the way through, but finally she breaks down as she realized her boyfriend is, is, is dying and is probably dead, and she, she breaks down and grief overwhelms her. And then this four-year-old girl you hear her say, it's okay, Mommy. I'm right here with you. My heart sank. I thought of my niece, who's not much older than her. I thought of my adopted niece, who's the same age. And those words stuck with me. And they inspired me. So today I stand before you and I say to the families who have lost their loved ones, I'm with you. I say to the families of the officers who have lost their lives, I'm with you. To the good men and women who continue to protect us both at home and abroad, I'm with you. To the black community who have faced injustice beyond what I can possibly understand, I'm with you. 
to the white community who loves all people sincerely and is begging for change in America. For you, I'm with you. To the Christians who are daring to stand up and say that despite the, the extreme pressures in our society, we want change. I'm with you. For he made us from one blood, every nation of men, to dwell on the face of the earth. To hurting people all over. I'm with you. Today I want to lead you in communion together. For it is in this covenant that that Jesus taught us that we become one. And I want to invite you to join with me as we become one in Christ, as we were reminded of the covenant that we have, the love that we have for one another, that we must live out the words of Christ and the gospel of Jesus, for it is the solution to the world that we are living in today. If you didn't receive communion, our ushers, if you'll just slip up your hand, they'll bring it to you. I'm going to ask... um, I'm going to ask my men, pastors, and elders to join me really quickly on stage. uh, And and let's take communion together as uh, a solidarity. I know we have several of our elders are out uh, today. They're on vacations and uh, with their families. Uh, But I've asked uh, those that are here to, to join me as we pray for our country. When you have your communion, if you would, would you please uh, stand with me? So, is everybody there? One more up here. Couple more up here, over here, uh, Jody. Amen. Step forward with me if you would. Mm-hmm. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he knew that troublesome times were coming. He was trying to warn his disciples. He brought them together and he entered into a new covenant with them. Today is an opportunity for a new covenant with the people of God to join with each other and to join with Him to come together as one. Begging God for change in America. It starts with each of us. So we lift the bread as Jesus did and we break it now. Jesus, you said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. So Father, we remember you today. Remember the price that you paid. And then you lifted the cup and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant which was shed for the remission of sins. This is the cup of your blood from which we were all born, from our new life begins in unity with each other and in unity with you. Help us today, God. Draw us into covenant with you. We drink it now in remembrance of you. We're going to pray for our nation now, and I'm going to ask you to join with me, if you would. Father, we stand here today 
as a body of believers. We're hurting, we're confused, we're grieving, we're broken. We've, we've shed tears, we've screamed, we've felt anger, disgust, frustration, and so many more emotions. But God, we are here today in your presence. First off, Lord, we're asking you to forgive our churches and our nation for grieving your Holy Spirit by the way we lived. God, we love you. And we're asking that you would step into this country, step into families, step into uh, our, our communities, step into churches, step into uh, schools, step into our police forces, step into our government. And God, do a wonderful work and, and bring us together as one, that through your love and through your mercy, you might bring hope that we might be a light in a dark world, Lord God. Be with us today. Be with the families that are hurting, that have lost their loved ones, oh God. Lift them up. Let them know that they are not alone, but we are with them, and we love them, and we are praying for them today. Lord, we stand with our officers who are doing their best to do a good job to protect us. For the, for, Lord, we pray that you would be with them. Let them not respond to the fear, but give them comfort, and, and, and give them strength, and give them wisdom, oh God. Be with us be with our leaders, both in our church and our country. Give them words of wisdom. Give them words of peace. Give them understanding. We thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen.